Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman. My goal with the Mosaic Life Podcast is to help listeners question the conventional wisdom that surrounds happiness. It's so easy to get caught up in wanting more and looking forward to tomorrow that for many of us, myself included, we catch ourselves waking up one morning wondering where our lives went while we were waiting for the next good thing to happen to us. If you enjoy this conversation, I would be incredibly grateful if you would share this episode with a friend, as that helps me tremendously in my goals to grow this podcast. My guest today is fast becoming a great friend of mine. She and I met virtually earlier in 2021, which is a bit ironic given she runs the No Longer Virtual Summit, and it was one of those connections we could both tell had the potential to grow deep roots. After connecting again, I was delighted to join Sarah on her podcast, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, during which we discussed growth and mindset and giving ourselves permission to change when it better serves us. This episode kind of felt like pressing the resume button on our conversation, even though they happened weeks apart. There's a lot to consider in both, and while they certainly stand alone, if you enjoy Sarah's perspective and view on the world and how we find ourselves in authenticity, I would recommend listening to our time together on her podcast. I've put that link in the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. The widespread failure in how people tell their stories is that they feel compelled to share their most epic experiences. But the most inspiring way to connect through storytelling is to share your most meaningful moments, not the epic ones. Sarah Elkins is your guide to uncovering the right personal stories for the right audiences so executives, leaders, public speakers, and job seekers can clearly and effectively demonstrate their character, values, and vision. As a Gallup Certified StrengthsFinder coach, Sarah uses that tool and story sharing strategies as the foundation of her work with teams, improving communication to reduce tension and stress in the workplace. Her podcast and book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, focus on storytelling as a means of self-reflection, knowing that the stories you choose to tell and how you choose to tell them strongly influence your internal messages and the perceptions of those around you. Please welcome my friend, Sarah Elkins, to the podcast. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Trey? Good. I'm so excited to catch up. We had the opportunity to do so on your podcast uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, the first time we met, it was just it's just one of those, I don't know, it's one of those times where you meet somebody, you just feel that connection, and you just get excited to talk with them. I don't know if I'm uh, speaking from just my side or if you feel the same way. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's kind of amazing how quickly people can connect with each other when they want to, when they choose yes. that. Yeah, absolutely. How, um, how, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. Absolutely great. Did you do anything fun? Um, well, <laughs> I did a lot of chores. <laughs> I did a lot of chores around the house. We did some gardening. We just planted a, a little plum tree in our yard last week. Yeah. Within 48 hours, the deer had come into our yard and stripped oh. 
almost all the leaves from the lower branches. <laughs> so this weekend was um, putting up cages of deer yeah. fencing around our two smaller <laughs> trees to try to protect them from the deer. So yeah, it was it was kind of a chore-filled weekend, but I did have a really beautiful hike up the mountain behind oh. my house. Um, I took the long way, so it was about um, five miles with my dog, and it was so gorgeous on Saturday, which is perfect for it. That's fantastic. I, I know um, when we spoke previously, I, I, you were experiencing at least some of the smoke or darkness from the fires. Is that still the case? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, Saturday was perfect and clear, and I barely noticed any smoke. On yeah. Sunday, though, a fire really close to us, within about 10 miles of us, had really kicked up. The winds were howling. It was about 80 degrees on Saturday, so it got too hot and too dry and socked us in full of smoke Sunday. And today, still, we can smell it. As soon as we open a window, you can smell the fires. That's terrifying. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you're safe. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're safe, at least for now, yes. correct? Yes, okay. for well, good. now. Good. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to start because, you know, the, one of the, something you had said the first time we connected, and I think I mentioned this in your podcast, but I, I want to mention it here as well. We started talking about authenticity and how what we feel can be authentic today may not have that same, it may not be the same thing tomorrow or next week or next year. And I think that's, that was an important realization for me because I, I think I don't know. I think that we feel like we're raised and we have to have this 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 year vision for ourselves. And, you know, there's very little wiggle, wiggle room. And I, I was reading something yesterday about how not just the American dream is changing, but how we, I say, I, I say we very loosely. I, I think it's kind of considered millennials and Gen Zers, how we don't necessarily need those same I don't know if I want to call them creature comforts or just that same sense of uh, well-being that that other generations prior to us needed in the past. So what can feel authentic previously doesn't necessarily have to, you know, make us feel authentic now. That The way you had said it previously, it just it, it's very much stuck in my mind. And I, I really appreciated the way you said that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. what, what you bring up is two different aspects of authenticity, I think. One is um, one of the things that people forget is to reassess what they want in their lives periodically. Um, so for instance, if as a, a young adult, your goal was to um, be a corporate executive and fly all over the place and have that excitement, um, and then you kind of work really hard to get there because you've set this goal and at some point you may have reached it or you may be close to reaching it. Yeah. And at some point in those previous years, you lost track of why you were doing it and didn't pay attention to the fact that you didn't really want that anymore. Right. And people will just keep going for it because it's all they know. So that's, that's one aspect of authenticity. And I can see a lot of people in my generation, the Gen X and even baby boomers, hitting that point now in a way that they never experienced before, that they have to reassess what satisfaction and success looks like to them now, yes. as opposed to what it looked like to them 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. 
that's 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 very i don't know the, the way you said that it's it it feels i mean it feels good it feels right and i i i it's hard a lot of times to have this conversation out in in the open i mean i i, I too like to consider this a, a fairly safe space but when you feel I don't know. I've, I've felt in the past that when you have a conversation with somebody who has always been, you know, maybe they grew up working in a factory or they, they just have this one narrow tunnel vision mindset of what work is. And then you have somebody who really wants to f- feel fulfilled in their work, which I, I think that, as you kind of mentioned there, that that is starting to enter that that cultural conversation a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I it feels it feels like we're kind of clashing at some points in time where we need to, it's expected of us to feel fulfilled in our work, no matter what it is we're doing. Well, I think that's always been the case. Yeah. Uh, you know, every generation thinks that they're unique and every yes, generation true. ends up following in the footsteps of the previous, where we look forward and uh, consider, you know, the people that are older than us and we're like, you just don't understand us. You just don't get it. <laughs> and then we look back and think, gosh, those entitled younger generations. Yeah. Um, and it's part of why the whole generalization around generations kind of bugs me because yeah. as a Gen Xer, I've always more fit the, the millennial mold when it came to wanting um, meaning, meaning and reward in my work. At the same time, one of the things that is coming very clear is that people need purpose and meaning in their lives in general. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to come from work. But what I see is if we can identify our values, like how we want to be known, I, I, I think in terms of legacy words, what words do you want people to describe you? What words do you want people to use to describe you um, after an interaction with you? And then you can kind of identify what your purpose is around that. But you can use yeah. that in any job you have, no matter where you sit. Right? Like if your goal is to leave a conversation better than you found it, to be somebody who supports others and builds up others, if your goal is to um, fix problems and guide others to fix their problems, you can do that from a a hotel front desk position. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes, you absolutely can. Um, This brings up... (laughs) This, this brings up some feelings that I've had over the past week. And uh, if you'll allow me, I, I'd like to get a little bit vulnerable, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, are you, so I, I guess I, I preface this by asking, are, do you pay any attention to the space industry? I mean, do you have any interest in outer space and, and you know, the pri- privatiz- privatization of the space industry at all? You know, I'm fascinated by it, but it hasn't been something that I've been watching closely. Okay. And I only ask, and, and I will, I will, I will give a primer to this conversation. Uh, SpaceX, um, they last Wednesday launched four private citizens into space. Now, you know, I, I say that with a caveat. Uh, the mission commander, his name is Jared. He has, you know, a, a fair amount of experience in the aerospace industry, but he's not, you know, a professional astronaut. So, 
it was really, I've always been fascinated with space. As a kid, like so many young boys and girls, I wanted to be an astronaut. But at the time, I was under the expectation that I had to go into the military, I had to be a fighter pilot, or I needed to, you know, really, really buckle down in college and get a master's degree, which I, I didn't do any of those things. So I kind of wrote that dream off, as many people do, as being, you know, fantasy. And so seeing these, these four amazing humans who are normal people be launched successfully into space and, and uh, orbit the Earth for three days out further than the International Space Station and seeing them splash down on Saturday evening and watching the docuseries on Netflix that led up to it, you know, I, I don't cry a lot and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm fairly good at managing my negative emotions when they arise. When I do cry, it tends to be out of, out of happiness. And so, I, yes, I, there were tears of joy from all of this and it, it reinvigorated in me that, that feeling of, I like, I like the way you said legacy and I, it's, it's, um, and having a cause greater than ourselves. And that's what it really felt like to me. And it really brought that dream back of, of being an astronaut and, and thinking about my authenticity and thinking about what I want to do to create meaning in my life and in this world. And for me, I'm, I'm quite happy running my own web design business, working for myself and running this podcast and having fantastic conversations. But all of a sudden, I've, I, I, I was dreaming about space Saturday night after the, after the splashdown. I, I'm still thinking about it today. And I, it's just, it's that, it's that feeling that I, I can't really, I can't really shake. And now I'm wondering, you know, if my authenticity is changing, if, if, I, if there's something that it really is out there, <laughs> out there quite literally, uh, that I want to try to pursue. And just, it's been, uh, it's been a whole mix of emotions over the last uh, five or six days. I, I'm, and I'm trying to make heads and tails of it. I love that. I love that. I would like to come back to this whole idea of your authenticity changing. Yeah. Your authenticity isn't changing. Your authentic <laughs> self is curious. Yeah. Your authentic self. That If I were to use a couple words to describe you, I would say curious and compassionate. And those, I, those authentic parts of yourself show up everywhere you go and in everything you do. So the idea of what's changing for you isn't your authenticity. It's how you see your future. It's um, how you consider what success will look like to you. Yeah. That's not, that, that is ever changing. And if it's not, then you've stopped growing. <laughs> you've stopped learning. Yeah. And your story is a perfect example of the fact that, that it's not too late. And the idea that um, if somebody else thinks your authenticity is changing, if they, I call it, well, Mark Bowden actually kind of coined this term, authenticity shaming. So somebody hears that at 22 or at 28, you want to be an astronaut. And they say, oh, it's just a phase. You right. can't do that. That's just not you. Yeah. That's authenticity shaming. And that's where the danger is. It's yeah. not your internal idea of what your authentic self looks like. It's, it's that idea that somebody else can tell you what authentic looks like for you. <laughs> no, they can't. Yeah. That's uh, well, I, thank you. Um, those two words, I, I curious and uh, compassionate. I, they resonate. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing those. I appreciate your sharing uh, the, your viewpoint of, of how you've gotten to know me. So I, I do think that's, that's, that's apt. Um, and I, 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 
yeah, I, the idea of authenticity shaming. I've, I don't know. To me, it feels like a lot of us, I'm, I'm sure I've been guilty of it in the past. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's, you know, we, we shame others about their, their idea of authenticity because we are afraid to pursue our own authenticity, our own dreams. And so we project uh-huh. that negative emotion onto others. Or, you know, if we're just trying to protect the, the ones we love and, and not want to see them get hurt, maybe a little bit of both, maybe in some instances, one or the other. Um, I, I, do you, I mean, do you see that a lot? And I, I want to go back to the example that I, I brought up to, to the brought to point uh, a few minutes ago, when we first started talking about authenticity on our very initial call, you were talking about being a singer. And that, I mean, that that was a really cool story that you told. And if you'd like to, you know, share it again, I'd, I'd welcome you to. But I'd ask, I'm wondering how often you see that. Oh, my gosh, I see it all the time. And you're right on both counts. Sometimes it's because when somebody authenticity shames somebody else, Many times it's because they wouldn't do it themselves. Yeah. And so it makes them uncomfortable to even think about somebody else doing it. And, and they may be um, actively critical because they just, they're not supportive people. Right. <laughs> and honestly, right. if it's that, if that's why they're on authenticity shaming you, you don't need them in your life. You surround yourself with people who support <laughs> your ideas and your crazy ideas. And they say, what can I do to help? And did you think about this? Um, Those are the people we need to surround ourselves with. But as far as the other aspect of that, here's the story. When I I, I had been singing in choirs all my life, and in high school, I was even singing madrigals in the chamber singers group. So these are like four and eight part harmonies where you just have to hold your notes exactly right, blend beautifully with the other voices, and the sound can be absolutely magical. And yeah. I fell in love with harmonies. So all of my um, singing from high school and into college was choral singing. I never considered myself front of the band kind of singing. I never even thought of myself singing in a band. And in my late 30s, I was introduced to another woman and her husband, and my husband plays guitar. And the four of us started doing music together. We just... Um, the, the other woman, Twyla, and I, our voices would blend so beautifully that even though our voices sound completely different, separate, when we sing together, it's hard to distinguish whose voice is whose. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And we had, I don't know, a couple of dozen songs that we had learned together and decided it was time to start a band. It was the first time I ever performed in a band. Um, and when Twyla and her husband, Ryan, moved away, our band had to break out because they lived too far away to practice regularly. Right. And my husband said, I've always wanted to start a surf band. I've always wanted to perform in a surf band. He loves the Ventures and Dick Dale and Manor Astro Man. And he wanted to um, play some of their music. So I said, oh, that sounds great. Have fun with that. <laughs> and he said, well, aren't you going to sing with us? And I said, no, I'm not a rock and roll singer. That's, you know, it's not my thing. And yeah. he said, okay, well, we're going to need go-go dancers. <laughs> and I said, also not my thing. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like 40 and pretty set in what I think my authentic self would do. Right. And what my authentic self looks like. 
So eventually, um, as they started practicing in our house, I would hear harmonies with the, the person who was singing. And I'd ask if I could jump in and do some harmonies. And he'd say yes. And then they eventually started sending songs through the, the set, through our um, mail list to the band that had female um, melody. So the female yeah. lead vocalist. And I started singing some of these songs and really started to enjoy it. It felt kind of out of my comfort zone, but it was a good challenge for me. And I'll never forget when I started singing really regularly with the band and we had had a couple of fun gigs. I said to our drummer, who is absolutely rock and roll, this guy has been playing with rock bands since he was like 13 years old and now he's in his 60s. Um, I said, I just feel like I'm faking it. And he said, well, that's okay. You're faking it well. And he, said, he basically said, you're not rock and roll, but that's okay because you look good and you sound good. So yeah. don't worry about it. So this was authenticity shaming, but it was in the most kind and, and um, loving intent. He yeah. was giving me an excuse to either give up because I wasn't rock and roll or to keep faking it because I wasn't rock and roll. He's giving me an excuse to, to stay in that comfortable place of being a jazz singer who happens to sing some rock and roll, right? Because he loves me. Yeah. And it's, it's uncomfortable to experience somebody you love in that discomfort, right? Watching somebody go through a transformation that's painful or awkward is like, oh, you just want to protect them from that. Yeah. I mean, to me, and I, I don't think you used these words, but I mean, it's essentially you're faking it until you make it. But I, I, I don't know. I guess I would challenge that assertion that you're not rock and roll if if you, as the old saying goes, if it looks like a duck or if it quacks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it is a duck or whatever it is. If you're singing like a rock and roll lead uh, front woman, and you look like a rock and roll front woman. What makes you think that you're not a rock and roll front woman? Well, and that's the thing is that if you don't feel like it feels real to you, yeah, if it doesn't feel authentic to you, then you're that's going to affect you, right? Sure. The yeah. audience can tell when you're faking it. When yeah. I hear this, fake it till you make it, and I remember a TED talk. Um, that I, I really found valuable. And she said, fake it till you become it. Yeah, I like that. And that's different, right? Yes. And that's that whole idea that we can change who we are at that innate level. And my assertion is that as long as you're acting within your values, within your frame of your values, and your ultimate goal as a human being, then you're being authentic. That, yeah. that opens up, it gives you this freedom to explore activities and things out of your comfort zone that you might not have otherwise done. Yeah, I like that. Fake it until you become it. Um, that makes me think of a, a conversation you and I had on, on your podcast. We talked briefly, uh, I think briefly, um, about uh, personality <laughs> tests. And I, I think we had differing viewpoints on 
on personality tests. And I, I don't disagree with their notion. I think probably there's some inherent value if you're trying to hire somebody who fits within your culture. But the problem I have with them is that I, I, I guess very specifically, I worked in a work environment in which everybody had to take this one standardized personality test. And not only were we... Not only did we receive tasks based on what our strengths were, but I actively saw people using their personality tests as an excuse to not execute for one reason or another. And I think that just put a bad taste in my mouth because mm-hmm. I know that I, as as I think is that I'm fully <laughs> capable of changing. And you know that's kind of the the idea of this conversation. We we have the ability to to change if it serves us well. And uh, I, I don't know I, I, how. I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit more. I mean, how, how do you feel about how those tests are structured and what they say about us? Oh, that is such a heated and big and important question because yeah. I am certified in coaching with yes. the Finder tool. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you that um, I had real issues with assessments before I worked with Finder for exactly those reasons that I saw them as self-limiting yeah. and labeling. And um, people who associate as an introvert, it might give them an excuse to not step out of their comfort zone to meet new people. And um, that's just, you know, a a really basic, obvious one right there. So I always dismiss them because I couldn't really see the positive value in them. I couldn't see the practical value in them. And honestly, the reason I became certified in any of these tools is because I knew I needed an additional credential beyond the MBA to get my foot in the door into team environments where they really needed me. So as a communication coach, I really want to work with teams, particularly in the public sector and in the nonprofit science sector, to help them improve their communication. And that credential could have been anything. I looked at StrengthsFinder, I looked at DISC, I looked at Enneagram, I looked at a couple of neuroscience-based ones that are that felt you know, really scientific and official. Yeah. Um, and the reason I landed on StrengthsFinder was because I see it as a more complex view of a complex system. You can simplify it. You can look at just those top five talents and identify how a person's brain works. You can also look at the full list of 34 and see what's at the bottom of the list. And the reason I find this so useful and not self-limiting is because the way that you use your talents can combine to solve problems in a way differently from how somebody else with different talents would solve them. Right. So it's how your brain works naturally. And I'll give you an example. And I may have done this before, but... When I looked at my StrengthsFinder results when I was trying to write my book, I had this huge aha moment. I was trying to write my book the way I was told people write books. My family and friends were sending me articles and all this podcast information about how to write a book. And every single one of them talked about routine. Every single one of them. And in my talents, I have adaptability and activator. And that means that I switch gears really fluidly and a lot. (laughs) So to create a routine, I tried, Trey, I tried to change my brain, which you can change your brain. 
you can create new neural pathways. We have plasticity that we never right. understood before the last 10 years. However, <laughs> when I tried to focus, when I tried to create routine, it sucked my soul out of my body. <laughs> I was not inspired. My writing wasn't inspired. So instead, I looked at my talents, my top six, and I thought, okay, if I was coaching someone with these talents, what strategies would we come up with together to get this book written? And it occurred to me that what I needed was fluidity in my schedule. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is I, I have strategic as my number one strength. And I thought, why am I not using that? My brain works this way so naturally. How about I, I use it with intention and application to solve my own problem? So what I did is I had random 15-minute increments that I scheduled throughout my week. So it might be on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., on a Thursday at 7 p.m., on a Saturday at 9 a.m., and it would be in 15-minute increments, and I wouldn't schedule anything for the next 45 minutes in case I got into flow. Nice. Which is a form of focus, Yes. but it's not something that I can predict or make myself do, which somebody with focus in their top talents can easily do that. If it's something they're interested in, they, they just go in deep and they can't get out of it very easily. Yeah. That's not me. So that's why I find this assessment particularly useful. And because of the way that it's presented, it looks at these as talents, as um, natural abilities that when you perfect them, it's like you're really good. You're, you're six feet tall and you're really good at volleyball. Right. Right. So why would you try? I mean, you, you're really good at volleyball. You love it. It's meaningful to you. The only way you're going to get better at it is to keep practicing, right? Right, right. Otherwise, um, but, but somebody who's 5'4 may be really good at volleyball, and they may really love it, and they have a passion for it, but they don't have the natural talent. They don't have the natural height that makes them particularly good at that sport, Right. So the person who's naturally talented at it is always going to be better at it. Yeah. So why not focus on what you do really well and solve the problems you have in your own way using those talents? Yeah. Now, that... you can use it as an excuse. <laughs> and I'll give you an example of that. I had my older son take it when he was 19. No, I guess he was 20 when he took it. And he has input in his top talents, which means that he collects things. Right. Like many people with input are hoarders. I mean, they just collect a lot of something or a lot of a lot of things. And my son, when we were going through this, I said, well, this is what input means. He said, sounds like an excuse to me. <laughs> and I said, well, it could be. You could use this as an excuse to keep on collecting. Or you could use this other talent called a ranger to be more um, particular about what you're collecting and how you're collecting it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, uh, like I said, I, the, 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 I think the test I had taken most recently was Colby. Um, I don't know if you're familiar or not, I'm but not. StrengthsFinder seems just, it seems more comprehensive. Um, and it's not... 
it's not that I'm completely opposed to the concept. It's just to that very particular point. I, 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 I didn't like other people. I, in, in essence, delegating work because they they were using it as an excuse that by saying I, I, this is not something I'm good at, so you're going to do it. And I also don't want to give myself that out as well. But at the same time, I would like to understand myself a little bit better, so I can instead of trying to press through something that I'm just I'm I'm not good at, I can focus where my strengths lie, and so I I can really work to. I guess, succeed in, in my ultimate goals, if that makes sense. Yes, it totally makes sense. And that's the whole premise of StrengthsFinder is, yeah. you know, you're going to get from point A to point B, but how you're going to do it is going to look different from somebody with different talents. Yeah. And I like, I like looking through the lens uh, as I'm thinking about this through my head. I mean, your, your goal was to write a book. I mean, there, <laughs> there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You were going to write a book. And just because your, your strengths didn't lie in, you know, perhaps writing an outline or, you know, structuring your day in a way that is consistent, <laughs> you're, you're, the way exactly. you described it, it worked for you and you still wrote a book. And so it's not like you were changing your goals. You were just changing the path in which you got there. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. when your company started delegating tasks based on talents, one of the things that I like to remind people of when I'm working with teens and bosses in particular, is that there are certain tasks that are going to be easier and faster for certain people. Right. So for instance, if, um, if somebody needs to create a spreadsheet um, using a bunch of data, and you know, create a process and a procedure around that spreadsheet to collect a certain kind of data, that's one kind of task. Right. The maintenance of that spreadsheet is a totally different kind of task. Yeah. So I'm really good at creating it in the first place and making it really useful and making a process that makes sense because I'm very strategic. But if you get me to the maintenance mode on that, I'm gonna miss things. And yeah. I can write myself notes and I can create um, things in that to keep me a little more accountable, like a lot of drop down choices and select so that I can't mistype something because I'm, you know, I'm adaptable. So I switch right. gears too quickly. Um, I can create tools to help me keep myself accountable. But if somebody else is good at the maintenance mode and enjoys it and they find it fulfilling, they should be doing that job and I shouldn't. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I do, I do want to move into your book and, and subsequently your podcast, your stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Um, I, I don't want to get too broad, but I mean, how, where did that inspiration to, to write the book on that particular topic stem from? Oh my gosh. There was so much inspiration around it. The podcast came first. Okay. The podcast, um, I had always had this premise in my head that it's not the things that happen in our lives that define who we are. It's how we talk about them. Yeah. And whether that's our internal dialogue or external stories, they really shape our identity. And yeah. now there's a bunch of research out there at Northwestern and at Western Washington University about personal narrative and how it impacts our identity from a very pre-verbal age. Yeah. Storytelling affects us. And we've always known that to a certain extent because of the emotional views of it. 
But what I realized as I was hosting this podcast and trying to uncover these pivotal moment stories with people, 99% of them didn't know, A, what pivotal moments they could share, and B, how to tell that story. It was like this, it was like pulling teeth sometimes trying to host this podcast and like having a CEO not be able to share a story because they just didn't know which story to share and they didn't know how to share it so that they could demonstrate who they are and their values, which I think is the key to storytelling. Yeah. So the, the podcast, I was, I would kind of coach people to share their stories. And I realized I can only coach one person at a time in this way. So I started writing the book with the intention of guiding people to create a story portfolio, to be able to uncover those pivot moment stories so that then they can share them when it's appropriate. So that was, that was the, the ultimate goal. But what I found was that it was a perfect complement to the StrengthsFinder work I was doing because I, I started using this, this phrase, your strengths are your stories. So instead of telling somebody in an interview that you're a team player, you tell a story that demonstrates that aspect of your work. I like that. Um, it, I mean, it, it's... it's... It's, it's, it's not only, it makes us as storytellers think more critically about how we talk about ourselves, but it also, it's more engaging from, a, from an audio standpoint for the listener to hear that story, as opposed to, uh, the, um, instead of just being, instead of stating it explicitly, it, 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 it adds that, that sense of feeling and connection, uh, with the person who's telling a story. So I, I like hearing how you were able to, to work through that with your guests. Well, I, Thank you. It's It's been a really important role that I've played over the years, and I didn't even realize how important it was until I started getting feedback about uncovering these stories, these memories, and how important it was for people to start to address them in a different way, viewing them from an observer standpoint instead of um, a particular role playing in the in the story. And when you said, you know, just being direct about what you are, what you do, and telling a story creates an emotional bond. Think about it this way. If somebody is telling you, I'm really smart, are you going to believe them? Probably not right off the bat, no. No. If somebody says, I'm a team player, does that make you believe them? No. No. If somebody says, I'm really good at putting a project together and leading it, do you believe them? No, no. <laughs> no, but if they can tell a story about how they created buy-in from the team and how they led this team to the successful uh, completion of a project as a result of empowering their people and caring about them, you don't need to hear them say, I'm a team player and I'm a good project manager because you just heard it in a story that actually makes sense and is believable. Yeah. Yeah, and I it, to me it feels like the people who have those skill sets, and uh, this may be just my own perception or viewpoint of the of the world, the people who are really truly great team players and they're, they're the smartest ones are the people who are really out there doing all this magnificent work. They are the ones that are a lot less likely to say in the first place, I am 
a team player. I'm smart. And even less <laughs> exactly. likely, in my opinion, unless they're trained to tell these stories, to actually talk about themselves, they they exemplify their value through their work. And so I, I can I can see how that might mm-hmm. be difficult to really coax some of these stories out of your guests. Exactly. I had an executive client in the DC area who knew that he could connect better with his audiences if he started sharing stories. But his biggest hurdle was that he said it felt like he was bragging. And I said, I hear you. I get it. You don't, you don't want to be bragging at the same time. If you tell a story from start to finish about the obstacle you faced and the other characters in the story that either helped you out of spite because they were mean (laughs) or helped you as a guide, as a positive guide, including the other characters in your story and the obstacle you faced and then how you how you overcame that obstacle and what the result was that's not bragging it's telling a story yeah yeah um you know you kind of made me uh realize something uh, a few weeks ago when we we spoke in your podcast and i i can't remember the exact way we said it but uh I, I, this might have actually been after uh after we stopped recording you had said something along the lines of you're not scripted, which, which you appreciated. I'm, I'm not quoting verbatim by any means, which made me think that that may be true. I, I do do my best to think critically and, you know, have a mindset, a growth mindset so I can change my opinions and viewpoints as the, 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 the science backed data comes in. But at the same time, I've, I've I coincidentally have done a number of podcast interviews being on the interviewee side of the last month, which isn't something I do often. And I've kind of realized I don't feel like I'm a great interviewee. I feel more comfortable in this interviewer spot. And so I feel like I'm kind of telling that story of myself, not literally right now, but you know, as I'm experiencing these things and I'm trying to get better instead of, instead of limiting myself based on what my perception of my, the way I'm turning up or showing up for these podcasts is I'm trying to think critically about how I can constantly improve. And I'm, I don't know, it's just that that was a realization for me that I think I needed. And now that I'm aware of it, I can start to tell my story a little bit differently so I can continue growing and and becoming better in that sense. Oh, I love that. Yes, that's exactly right. And you know, what I love about our conversations, Trey, is that you pick out these parts and then turn them over in your head enough to find a practical application for things that I'm not necessarily thinking about. I love that. <laughs> it's kind of well, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. You said that so eloquently and it makes me feel like, okay, oh, maybe, maybe these haven't been so terrible, but I, I mean, we obviously are our own worst critic. And so when we hear when we hear ourselves you know, or read ourselves or, you know, see ourselves and we just, we, we pick about, pick apart all of the things that we can just do better. And yeah, I mean, you are right. I, I do try to, to turn things over to examine them from all different sides because I don't know, I, I've, I've learned a lot through this podcast and that's super important for me. And one thing that I, I've, I've learned through the podcast, through these interactions and, and through the world that we live in over the last five or 10 years is that I, one, and this is going to sound, uh, this is going to sound very jaded or you know, it's going to sound sharp, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to back it up. I, I, I don't care about people's opinions, generally speaking. Now, with that said, I, when I don't care about people's opinions, I cannot in good conscience expect them to care about mine. And so I, <sighs> 
I want to, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to remember why I brought that up, but I, I just, I want to be in a place where I can have strong and relatable conversations with people that are just going to help me continue growing and continue and continue opening my mind to new ideas and new possibilities. And I don't know, it's just, it's been a really important practice for me to examine all arguments and all, and all thoughts and, and conversation pieces from different angles. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And what I like about that is that you're, you're couching the word opinion in its appropriate place. And um, I think the, the key to being persuasive, to um, letting people find their way in a conversation is by sharing stories that demonstrate our thoughts rather than yeah. sharing an opinion specifically. And, and that means... Like I, I, I told the story of how I wrote my book using StrengthsFinder. Yeah. My opinion is that it's a, a useful tool, but saying that isn't going to change your mind. I'm not going to say, oh, it's a really useful tool and expect you to say, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. However, right. um, I can tell you a story about how it was useful, how I applied what I've learned from this tool and I can tell you all kinds of stories about my clients and how they benefited from understanding better how their brain works and yes. being able to shift and try new things based on doing it the way that your brain works in a natural way. So, um, yeah, I, I love that. It, it, opinion is only as good as its stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's... Uh, I, I like how you say that opinion is only as good as it, its stories. And what I, what I, what I really love is that opinions can, I don't know, they can, they can live off on their own. And when, when we start to attach our, I don't, I don't want to say we're attaching our values to them. That, that, that seems wrong. But when, when we can attach who we are with what our opinions are, we can start to kind of grasp where they came from and we can empathize just a little bit more. And I don't know if I, I've said this to you, it's something that I've, I've started to say on repeat uh, recently is that, that these conversations are fantastic. I love speaking uh, voice to voice, face to face, if given the opportunity. But when it comes to just, you know, when it comes to online, when it comes to you know, ch even just chatting one-on-one -on -one via Facebook or, you know, adding comments to, to posts on Facebook or Instagram, that that's just, that's that's barely communicating to me, and I, I I refuse to call that conversation. To me, this is the only way to actually progress who we are, to to learn and to grow, is to actually have voice to voice or face to face conversations. And so I've become very careful about the verbiage I use or the the wording I use when when talking about that because I don't know. I just this this whole idea of staying connected, which I. I I know is the the goal of or what Mark Zuckerberg says is his goal with Facebook, but I just I, I don't believe it. I don't buy into it. I, I think we need to have more of these conversations to to really move past some of our differences. I totally agree, and I think a big part of that is that we need to relearn how to have these conversations with a a, a more open and curious idea yes. of of learning from them, and. It may only happen if we start doing these one-to-one -one conversations in person or over the phone or however we want to do them. There was a time when these conversations could happen in some aspects of certain platforms. And I'll give you an example. LinkedIn 
seven, eight, nine years ago was actually a great platform for having these conversations. It's not anymore, but it was right. at one time, the gold was in the comment sections. So yeah. people would write these interesting articles that either you agreed with or you didn't, but you could have a whole conversation in the comment section that would, if you presented your opinion in a way that was pragmatic or curious, yeah. You could hear back from somebody that would say, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, what about this? Um, I haven't seen that in the last four years. And I, I think it's a direct result of the polarization of our political communities. Yeah. However, um, it's part of this, this need for face-to-face -face conversation is part of why I started the No Longer Virtual Conference based yes. on my relationships on LinkedIn that I, that I started six, seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you and I have talked very, very briefly about that. I, I would love to learn more about it. Is that something you're still doing? I mean, with with the no longer virtual, you know, 2020. I imagine if you if you were able to do it, it was probably virtual. So I'm 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 curious if that's something that you're still pursuing. It's so funny you say that because um, I would not do a no longer virtual virtually. I just I refuse. <laughs> and I had a few people say, "Well, how could we make this, you know, work?" And I'm like, "No, we yeah. can't make it work. It's called no longer virtual." <laughs> so um, we actually did do it in 2020 on March 12th and 13th, which was oh wow, yeah, in Chicago on the top of the Aon Building in the middle Mid America Club, which was a phenomenal location. The nice. views were spectacular, and we watched things unfold from way up there, suddenly yeah. seeing a decrease in traffic in Chicago, which was yeah. unheard of the weekend before St. Patty's Day. So it was um, quite a surreal experience, and I, had, I, I limited it to 40 people, and I had 38 registered, but only 20 in the room. Yeah. Because of all the cancellations, there were a bunch coming in from Canada that had to cancel because the Canadian government was shutting borders. And if they had left, when they came back, they'd have to quarantine for two weeks, which right. we didn't know they were going to have to anyway. Everything right. was being shut down. But at the time, it felt like a real threat to their um, uh, livelihoods. And so they stayed put. But those 20 people connected and there was a time, it was, Trey really was magical because those 20 people were in the right place at the right time. Um, as far as That's I amazing. know, nobody got sick after that That's weekend. Good. Everyone who went yeah. back to their homes was health. No one had COVID after that. But um, I don't know if I'd feel the same if somebody had contracted it and gotten right. really sick or shared it with their family. But at the time, um, we were all getting these scary email messages as we were trying to settle into this, the first day of the event that Thursday, um, people were potentially losing their jobs. Um, their kids yeah. were getting sent home from spring break and uh, they were going to be home after spring break. And um, people were getting kind of scary messages and people were trying to reach them by phone at the end of that Thursday, after we had done a session on mindfulness, which was awesome <laughs> and exactly what we needed that day. That's fantastic. We had done a session on emotional health, <laughs> which we yeah. really needed that day. And we had done a session on um, sales leadership, particularly 
in terms of building relationships and what that can look like even online, which was particularly <laughs> appropriate on that day. The last session of the day was scheduled that we were going to the Art Institute of Chicago, which was right down the street from, from where we were. And yeah. so before we left, I reminded everyone in the room that we were in the right place at the right time. I said to them that I understood that they were freaking out and that it was scary and that it's possible some of us were going to have to leave early tomorrow um, and get, get flights home and it was going to be uncertain. And being together in that room that day was like this bubble of support and encouragement. That's great. I said, you couldn't have been with a better group at this point in time in our collective history because yeah. these are the people that can help move us forward. Your family can't do that. You're all going to be in a weird place when you get home, but you will still have this and you'll have this yes. network. And I can tell you that six months later, a year later, this group, we are still in contact with each other regularly. That's amazing. All 20 of us have been in contact with each other. I've heard reports of um, successful business collaborations as a result of that time together. Um, it, it was really magical. So to make a long story a little bit longer, sorry about that. Um, no. I am doing No Longer Virtual next year, 2022. We skipped this year um, because travel was still too right. hectic and, and wondering if people could make it. It's scheduled for the first Thursday and Friday of March in 2022 in Park City, Utah. So oh, it's really, awesome. yeah, it's really easy to get to Salt Lake City. And then from there, it's only a 40 minute drive to Park City. So um, it's, it's set to be a really great year. And again, limited to 40 people. So we're really ensured that we connect authentically with each other because it's a small group. Yeah. But also everyone gets to contribute in their areas of expertise. It's not a keynote where some talking head is talking to the group. Right. All of these um, sessions are based on leveraging the experience in the room. That's incredible. And so I guess I am curious, um, limiting it to 40 people, are you selective as to who is able to, to join you? Is it the first 40 people who, who sign up? Or do you do personality tests for everybody who wants to join? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, I could see the reasoning for that. I'm just, I'm curious how, how you handle that. I actually, um, I limit it to 40 and it's first come, first serve. I can okay. tell you 10 are already registered and their people, um, six of them have come to previous NLVs. They're almost always half returns, uh, yeah. people who come year after year after year. Um, and I've been doing it since 2017. So this will be year five, which is really pretty important. I That's think. amazing. Yeah. So no, I don't give a personality test. It's first come first serve. However, I am um, actually including the StrengthsFinder assessment for people who haven't taken it as part yeah. of the registration. And I am going to do an introductory session, the first session of the day, to just briefly talk about how we recognize and embrace the diversity in how people think. That's fantastic. That's awesome. I am. Um... Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to learning more about that. And congratulations on, I mean, five years. That is, that is huge. So that that's that's amazing. Thank you. 
And thanks yeah. for asking about it. It's such, yes. it's so amazing. The experience that I've had in the last four of these events, every, every year I come away with incredible inspiration and more tools in my toolkit for my business and in my relationships. Yeah. So I'm sure. Well, that's fantastic. Um, sir, I, I, I cannot thank you enough for not only just having this conversation, but this this friendship we've built. I look forward to, to seeing it grow and blossom. It's just been so incredible getting to know you. And uh, this this conversation only solidified that even more. So I, I want to truly and genuinely thank you for for just everything you are. I mean, for, for being so thoughtful and mindful, uh, with, with your approach to, to not only your life, but, the the way, uh, the way you tell your story. Well, thank you, Trey. It's absolutely yeah. my pleasure. And again, I feel the same. It's, it's kind of amazing when people connect on this level so quickly and easily and meeting face to face just expands that exponentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, I do have a few closing questions that I like to ask. And the, the first of which is I, I'm always, I want to be as beneficial for you as you have been for me in the last hour. So I like to ask, are there any resources you're looking for to continue your personal growth? And I ask that with the idea that somebody happens to be listening across the country, across the world, and they, they can lend you that resource and they, they say they want to help you. So if, if you were looking for one thing to continue growing, what would that be? You know, that's such a hard question because I have access to the resources that I've been looking for to improve my coaching, particularly yeah. coaching with teams what I would really love is more help with accountability in what I'm doing. So I finally hired a business coach and she has been wonderful to help keep me accountable and grow my business. Any, anyone with ideas and tools to help me grow my business in terms of um, taking what I already do really well and yeah. taking it to the next level, um, I need to scale what I'm doing. I know that so many more people could benefit from being able to share a compelling story, whether it's as a parent or as a, a job interviewer or interviewee, um, or even an executive trying to share their story so that they can inspire and influence the, the people they're trying to lead. I would love to grow this and scale it. So any, any help with that would be greatly appreciated. That's fantastic. Okay, good to know. Um, and then the next question, uh, if you could credit one book with just changing your life for the better, what would that book be and why? Well, it's it's kind of an easy one and a hard one at the same time because it's probably a book you've never heard of. And it's called Happy Hour with Einstein. And my dear friend, Melissa Hughes, wrote it and published it right before we met. Yeah, And then, then we met and she came, she has come to every no longer virtual <laughs> since we met. That's um, amazing. But the reason that book has changed things, it really flipped the switch for me because it's all about what we've learned from the dissection of, of Einstein's brain in terms of neuroplasticity yeah. and the strategies, solid um, strategies and practical applications of how we can change our brains and build new neural pathways. I love that. I've, um, 
I had heard of the book previously from you. So it, I, I, I've actually been, I've been, I have been trying to find it in bookstores uh, since you and I last spoke. I have not been able to yet. I'm, I'm sure I, well, I know I can order it online, so I will need to do so at some point because the way you speak of it just now and the way you've spoken it pre- of it previously, it's it sounds like something that I, I'm extremely interested in and I would love to learn more about it and read what she's written. Well, let me give you a little hint. She actually wrote the sequel, Happier okay. Hour with Einstein. That okay. one you may actually be able to find. And I like to order books on bookshop.org. Yes, yes. So you can probably find it on bookshop.org or order it from your local bookstore on their page on bookshop.org. Perfect. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. And I will, of course, put that link in the show notes. And then last but not least, if you could leave the audience with one personal call to action that either you live your life by or you often implore your friends, family, or clients to live their lives by, what would that be? My call to action would be healthy self-reflection. Yeah. I think what we miss most in our conversations is how, what our role is and how we can improve in every relationship we have. And I mean, healthy self-reflection because that is not a critical internal dialogue that's on repeat telling me everything that's wrong with me. Self-reflection to me is about identifying my patterns, where I'm getting in my own way and whether that means not standing up for myself or whether that means being defensive and not understanding where I could have improved in my role in friction or conflict. Um, That to me is the core of my work and it should be the core of every coach's work is to promote and encourage healthy self-reflection. That's perfect. That's perfect. Sarah, again, thank you so incredibly much. If people would like to find you, if they would like to learn more about you, what is the best place for everybody to find you online? Well, the simplest place is on elkinsconsulting.com, E-L-K-I-N-S consulting.com. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And you can find me. My tagline is the smile is free. I love that. That's perfect. Sarah, thank you again so incredibly much. It was great to be able to talk with you again. I I hope, I hope this is not the last time we get to to speak in the near future. And um, yeah, I just, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all you're doing for the world. Thanks, Trey. The same. It's the feeling is absolutely mutual. One more time, I would like to extend a huge debt of gratitude to Sarah for joining me on the podcast. It's always so wonderful to have deep and meaningful conversations with her, and I'm sure this will not be the last time. If you found a value in Sarah's thoughts and her message in this episode, please be sure to check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. You can find all of the links that Sarah mentioned. You can check out her podcast, buy her book, and you can even sign up for the No Long virtual conference which is taking place next march and of course thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast it means the world to me 
The fact that you spend an hour of your time with me each week is not lost and I cannot express how much I truly appreciate it. If you found value in this particular episode, I would be so incredibly grateful if you would share this with a friend, somebody who may enjoy this particular episode. That would absolutely mean the world to me and it would help me in continuing to grow this podcast. Again, thank you so, so much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.